between uh, our study in various books. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be jumping over to Amos, is my plan. But right now, we're taking a few weeks to look at just some, some passages that I've always enjoyed that have ministered to me and hopefully will minister to you as well. And so this morning, we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. We haven't been in the Old Testament for a, a long time, and uh, if you know me at all, you know I love the Old Testament, and so we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament for a little while. So we're going to be Deuteronomy chapter 10 this morning. <coughs> Deuteronomy is an interesting book. It's interesting at a number of levels. It's interesting from the perspective of, out of all the Old Testament books, outside of probably Psalms and Proverbs, although uh, people don't know Proverbs probably as well as they think they do oftentimes. But outside of Psalms and Proverbs and little bits and pieces elsewhere, Deuteronomy is probably best known as a book, even though many people don't spend their time in it at all. And the reason why is because almost everybody knows that the, that the, the book of Deuteronomy is primarily a book of the law, right? And since most people don't really care for law, we know about the book, but we don't spend a whole lot of time in the book, which um, I always find intriguing. Um, but be that as it may, it's an interesting study. I think oftentimes people that get into the book of Deuteronomy and actually do study it oftentimes miss the point of Deuteronomy. Certainly we know in the Old Testament they, they missed it. Um, Deuteronomy is understood as the basically the... Uh, two different ways it's understood. On the one hand, it's the restatement or the second declaration of the law. The first being found in, in primarily Exodus, but also in Leviticus and Numbers. Um, but it is, it is the second statement of the law, the restatement of the law. Others have understood it more appropriately, I think, as being the message regarding the law. Because what Moses is doing is he's taking literally a two-week message, a two-week preaching, not continuously, but for two weeks he's preaching on the law. Every day, for hours every day, he's preaching on the law to the people of Israel. And so Deuteronomy is really his message of the law. At the same time, we know, according to the Old Testament record as well as the Gospels, that the that the people of Israel, the covenant people, really didn't get it. Because we know the storyline of the, of the Old Testament from Deuteronomy onwards. And by the way, if I could say this again, I said it to you before in the past, if you want to understand the Old Testament, you desperately need to understand the book of Deuteronomy. Because from Deuteronomy onwards, the entire rest of the, of the Old Testament is looking backwards onto Deuteronomy. As well as forward onto the, what do you think? The fulfillment of Deuteronomy, right? In Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, for the most part, they missed that second part. Almost universally missed the second part. We see it very clearly in the Gospels, don't we? We've just been through Mark and, and John, and we know they missed it. They didn't see that, that, that Deuteronomy was, was setting up and pointing towards Jesus. Jesus himself said it. You look to the Old Testament, you look to the law, because you think you'll find salvation there, Jesus says, but you miss the point that's all pointing to me. And so what they do by default, if you don't see it as connecting to the Redeemer, the one that fulfills the law, you're going to default to do what? 
What do you think? Try to keep the law. Do everything you can to keep the law. Now, that in and of itself isn't bad, right? God gave us law for the purpose of keeping it in the Old Testament, right? But at the same time, we know, according to even the book itself, Deuteronomy, you can't keep the law. Even Deuteronomy declares that. It's impossible. Ultimately, at the end of the day, even in the book of Deuteronomy, what, what God is going to drive towards throughout this book is, at the end of the day, your only hope is not in the keeping of the law, but it's upon throwing yourself onto the mercy of God. Because you can't keep it. If you've read the law at all, you know that there is literally no aspect of life in the Old Testament life or even in the New Testament life, in our life. There's no aspect of the law that, that God doesn't say all sorts of intricate things about in a law fashion. It's everywhere, even down to the clothes you wear. Even down to how you plant your fields if you have fields, or your gardens if you have gardens. Even down to how far you can travel at certain times. How you interact with foreigners. How you interact with people of the covenant. What kind of food to prepare. Every aspect of our lives, God has something to say about in his law. And you know you can't keep it. It's impossible. We can't even keep the laws of our government. And it's nowhere near as all-encompassing as God's law. It's not even close. It's a whole different league. So Deuteronomy itself screams out, at the end of the day, what we need more than anything else is God's mercy, and it's the only thing we can bank on. It's the only thing that we can turn to is God's mercy. Now, we need to understand that God's mercy is ultimately and completely fulfilled in Christ. It's not, are there, are there all sorts of mercies of, the, of God flowing to, to the children of Israel that isn't directly connected to Christ as in Christ isn't there yet? Well, yes, of course. But even those mercies are preliminary mercies that are all pointing to Christ. So it's really important that we get that. I really appreciated the songs we sang this morning. If I may just mention it here, uh, in the song Great uh, God from Thee, in the second bridge, what wondrous love, what mysteries. And this appointed shine, which is talking about our lives. My breaches of the law are his, and his obedience mine. Now we're going to talk about that again at the end. We're gonna, I'm going to bring that up again if I remember. But, and then the depth of mercy. That whole thing of our absolute and utter failure, which is what that song is all about. I've had some people say to me over time that, that that song is such a downer. And it's so depressing. No, it isn't. It's just pointing out the reality of our desperation and the reality of his great mercy. And so at the end of the song, the, the, it's seen so clearly. Now incline me to repent. Let let me now my sins lament. Now my foul revolt, deplore, weep, believe, and sin no more. It's all because of God's mercy and his changing of our hearts, right? Otherwise, that's never going to happen. Now, I say all that I as a precursor to, to what we're looking at this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Here's the question before us, because it's going to sound initially like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of schizophrenic. 
Because what did we just say? In, in Andrew's confession, it was what? His major emphasis in his confession is what? Anybody remember? Quiz time. Okay, Andrew, remind us again, major theme of, of your whole point of, of your confession. And the, and the passage was? Exactly. Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher or perfecter of faith. Now, I'm going to sound kind of schizophrenic in the beginning, but it won't be in the end. Because what I'm going to do is we're going to look at the law. So I, I wanted to give all the precursor, what I just talked about, so that you don't think Steve's off the wall, though you may think that anyway. Um, but so you won't think, okay, he's totally off the wall. We need to remember, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. So I think we could say several things about our study this morning. We can ask ourselves, how do we view the law? Very important question. How do we view the law? How should we view the law? How should we consider the law more specifically? How should we consider the law of God? How should we think about it? How should we interact with the law of God? Because it's there. One thing we know is we can't deny it. We can't ignore it. Does that make sense? We can't ignore it. We can't deny it. So how should we view the law of God? Well, let's start in verse 12. I'm going to read from 12 to 22 of Deuteronomy chapter 10. And then we're going to talk about a little bit of the background of the passage before we get into the passage itself. We're not going to look at the entire thing. I'm going to, I'm going to cherry pick throughout the passage. Starting in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all people, as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He who executes, executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving them food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the, sky, as the stars of heaven. If I may just continue a little bit into chapter 11. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, his, and his commandments always. And consider today, since I am not speaking to your children who have not known it or known or seen it, consider the discipline of the Lord your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and, de and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and what he did to the army of Egypt 
uh, to their horses and to their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Datham and Abraham, uh, Abram, I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, Abiram, the son of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth sw- opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them in the midst of all Israel. For your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord uh, that the Lord uh, did. So we're going to focus primarily on 10, uh, 12 through 22. And we're, again, we're just going to cherry pick through here. What do we do with the law of God? And how should we approach the law of God? And how should we think about it? Well, first of all, let's think about the background here. It's because it's really important. If we don't get the background right, we won't get the law right. What do we mean by that? Well, in Deuteronomy 1 through probably 5, we find Moses taking a significant period of time, and as he preaches his first message to the children of Israel, what does he say to them? Simply summed up in one word. Remember. Very important we get this. It's one of the most important words of all the Old Testament. There are several other equally important words, but this is one of the most important ones. And that is remember. Remember what God did, and more importantly, and it's all couched in that phrase, remember what God did, and it's just a laundry list of all these things God did. But it's really more important than remember what God did. It's remember God and all the aspects of who God is demonstrated in what he did. So it's really important we get that. The first declaration of Moses is remember God and remember what he did. Remember who he is in light of what he did. Because if we, if we forget that, then guess what we're going to do by default? We're gonna, if we forget God, yeah, we're going to do what? At best, we're just going to try to keep the law. If we forget God, at best, we're just going to try to keep the law. That's at best. At worst, we do what? We do what the people were doing during Josiah's day and not even keep the law. Do and, 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 in, and in Judges, do whatever's right in our own eyes. So, what Moses does under the guidance of the Holy Spirit is he, he spends five chapters talking about who God is as demonstrated in what he's done. And by the way, in almost every aspect of what he describes, it's always what God has done toward the Hebrew people. Okay? And then he talks about some parts of the law, and then we come to chapter 9, or chapter, yeah, 9 and 10, and what we find in chapter 9 is he returns again back to, Moses returns again back to a reminder of what God has done, how he's revealed himself and what he's done, who he is and then immediately after chapter 10 he goes back to it again and we read a little piece of it there again he reminds us to remember who he is in as declared or revealed in what he's done for the israelites for the hebrew people he does this repeatedly throughout the book of deuteronomy because he wants the people to remember who is god and who they are the people how great God is and how desperate the people are. When we approach the law, the very first and most important thing we need to remember is who God is. 
And then in light of that, we are exposed with the reality of who we are. So it's really important we get that. Now, God's role in the book of Deuteronomy, as I've said many times before, is this. God gave the children of Israel the law, not primarily so that they would keep it, although it's appropriate for them to try to follow it. But its primary purpose, the scriptures tell us, was to be a, a schoolmaster. It was to show them and teach them something that they desperately needed to learn. And it was going to be learned through quiz time, keeping it or failing to keep it? Failing to keep it. Not keep it, but failing to keep it. And so the law's purpose was going to teach them in their failure that they needed his mercy. And it's going to teach them ultimately that the mercy of God is most clearly and potently revealed and most completely revealed in the Son. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N, the Son of God. The Son that would be sent in the fullness of time. And so the purpose of the law was to show them their absolute failure and their need for a Redeemer. Now, can I just say this real quick? I hope that even today we are being reminded of our need for a Redeemer. I hope that when we look back on our week, or even our morning, as the case may be, that we discover again, we try to keep the law of God, right? At some level, we all tried, if we're, if we're followers of God, we tried to keep the law of God, didn't we? At some level? And you failed, didn't you? Repeatedly, right? Multitudes of times we failed this week. Which is one of the reasons why we have a confession time every week. It's because we failed. By the way, can I just say to you, on one level, it should discourage us when we fail. It should. It's appropriate. And we're going to talk about a little bit why that's appropriate. On another side of the coin, though, that should be a great encouragement to you. You know why? Because it causes you to turn to your Redeemer. It causes us to return to our Redeemer and look to the author and perfecter of faith. Because I can't keep the law that he did perfectly. Didn't he? I know, Ken, you and I have talked about this repeatedly, about, about how we, we try to keep the law and we just keep on failing, how discouraging it is. And even it, sometimes in our heart, right, where we find ourselves so failing at the law, we don't even desire him. You ever, be, you ever been there? We find ourselves not even desiring him. That's how much we fail. It's just a reminder how much we need the Redeemer. So, there are laws, though. Right? There are laws. So let's take a peek at it. Starting in verse 12 again. Now, Israel, what does the law require, or what does the Lord require of you? It sounds like there's, about a, uh, there's some law about to come, doesn't it? Right? 
what does the Lord your God require of you? Then he gives this laundry list. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to, uh, uh, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Sounds like law. Six laws, doesn't it? And it is. It's six laws, six requirements. Can I say something that the scriptures here say real quickly for a summation before we look at the specifics of this and try to figure out how we approach it? I'm going to rip out a bunch of this, and I'm just going to grab the beginning and end of the section so that you see something really cool. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Verse 13, for your good. You see that? I think it's important that we see that. Or you can say it a different way. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? It is these things which I'm commanding you today for your good. So whatever we do with the law of the Lord, in other words, one of the things we can say is this. The law of the Lord is for your good. It's for my good. We don't think about law that way. We think about law as restrictions, don't we? Almost inevitably, it's restrictions. But at the same time, we need to hear what God through Moses is saying is, is that what I'm requiring of you is for your good. Keep them for your good. In other words, they're good for you. Now, it begs the question, how are they good for you? Right? So what does he say here? And I think as we work our way through, we're going to understand why it's for our good. He says, now, O Israel, and by the way, you may say, well, it says Israel, we're not Israel, right? Well, the scriptures tell us we are spiritual Israel, so it's important we understand that. So he says, now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Notice, by the way, a precursor or a foundational statement here as well is your God, which means it's for his people. It means Today, it's for those who are believers, who have received mercy, who have had their sins forgiven, who the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ has been applied to your account. He's speaking to those people. He says, now, Israel, what does your God require of you? And he goes on and says, firstly, to fear the Lord your God. He requires that his children fear the Lord their God. Now, let me just say real quickly, what does fear mean? It means to be in awe of. I'm just going to give you the, the nutshell. It means to be in awe of. He's requiring us to, to recognize, in other words, who he is. One of the greatest ways to fulfill, if I may just say this real quickly, this statement, this command, this requirement is this for the children of Israel in that day would have been to go back and read chapters 1 through 5 and chapter 9. Because the only way we can fear the Lord our God is to what? Know Him. Right? To know Him and to know ourselves is a result, right? 
See, this is one of the wild things about the law. As I start with and cling to the idea of who God is, and then I begin as a Jew in the Old Testament to practice the law, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to remember who God is because I can't measure up to this God that is commanding me that I know because I know what he said about himself. He just went through and reminded me if I cling to this first statement, this most primary statement, to fear the Lord our, my God, right? As I dwell upon him, I, I pursue the law. I'm going to discover I need him. I need his mercy because I can't keep it. And I'm going to turn back to him again, again and again and again. Turn to him, turn to him, turn to him. That's why he starts out with fear of the Lord your God. It's another way of saying, by the way, what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. To He didn't say fear there. He says what? What are we supposed to do with all our heart, soul, and mind? Love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. It's just another way of saying the same term. It's, another, it's a corollary to it. To fear, to love, to be in awe of, to consider, to remember, to dwell upon. To be captivated by who God is. Does that make sense? So the, the whole statement here starts out with this idea, and, and I would argue remains with this idea of remembering who God is. So he says, fear the Lord your God, and then he goes to the statement to walk in all his ways. Again, it's interesting, he starts, that, starts out with fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways. I want you to follow through on this real quickly because we're not going to stay out long on any of, these, any of these six statements. Fear the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, which as I try to walk in all his ways, I'm going to fail, which is going to cause me to fear the Lord my God, right? So I'm going back and forth on these two. That's the idea. And as I go back and forth between these all the time, I'm going to find myself falling into the third one, which is what? What's the third command, the third requirement here? To love him. So I'm going to find myself starting out with fear of the Lord my God because I know his great power. I know his greatness. I know his immensity at some level and then i turn to the to this law to walk in all his ways and i pursue but i fail and i turn back to him and i'm realizing i'm not what destroyed consumed right because if you read the first five chapters of deuteronomy guess what you find there's a whole lot of destruction going on right there's a whole lot of destruction. There's the Egyptians. There's, there's the people on the east side of the Dead Sea. There's all sorts of destruction, as well as some covenantal people, too, isn't there? The Valley of Peor, when, after they had the, the amazing victories, they go and they worship foreign gods, and God wipes out 25,000 of them. It's striking. It's just a brief sentence in Deuteronomy coming out of this huge story in Numbers 25. As 25,000 people are killed, covenant people are killed because they disobeyed. And yet here are these people, fearing the Lord their God, walking all their ways, 
and yet they're failing, right? So they're not walking in all their ways, even though that's the command, and they're failing, so they are looking back to the Lord and realizing, as I look back to the Lord, as I'm failing, I'm looking back, and I'm no different from the people in the Valley of Peor, right? Even though the beginning of, of chapters 1 through 4 and 5 are primarily focused on people who are not covenant people, it concludes with people who are covenant people. And the destruction is there too. But these people are not immediately consumed, destroyed by God's mercy. And so as they look at their failures and look at God who, who is to be feared, and yet they're not being destroyed, it causes them to realize his mercy toward them, which causes them to, third command again, love him. Right? Now, do you start to sense already this, the focus is primarily where? Keeping the law or focus on God, right? Which is, again, fulfilled in, in, in um, Hebrews 12, right? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Same idea. So, He goes on to the fourth one, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. It's one thing, if I say this, it's one thing to keep all the, all the law he given us, he's given us, right? It's the second command, right? Fear the Lord, keep the commands. Ah, I'm failing. Serve God, keep his commands. I'm failing. Serve God, keep his commands. Ah, I'm failing. Wow. Is he merciful to me? My goodness, I am not consumed. He still loves me in spite of me. Right? He loves me in spite of me. So the natural response to someone who is loved is to love, right? And the supernatural response is, if I'm being loved by God, is to Love him, right? God tells that in third John three or first John three, right? We love because he first loved us. This is supernatural love to love God because our natural way with regard to God is to do what? To hate him, to despise him, to reject him, to go our own way. But when God moves supernaturally by Ephesians chapter two, making us alive by his grace and mercy because he loves us, the result is that we Love because he first loved us. So he calls us to love him, but then it changes here to serve the Lord, which is very different from to walk in all his ways. Here's why it's different. Because what he says next, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You see, to walk in all his ways can be really just a, Pick yourself up by your bootstraps, isn't it? Can it? Can it be? Do your best. Grunt your way through it. Right? Make sense? How many of you have ever been to an exercise gym? How many of you love going to an exercise gym? <laughs> I had no hands. My, my, my sister-in-law calls Planet, Planet Fitness Planet Torture. 
That's what her nickname is for it. She, she went, she doesn't anymore, but she went regularly, but she always called it planet torture. She'd walk her way through the machines, she'd use the machines, and walk her way through it. Have you ever, those of you who go to the gym, have you ever gone there and seen people there working out that just absolutely love it? There are some people like that, aren't there? They just absolutely live to work it, work out. It, they're a different league, aren't they? It's a whole different category of person, isn't it? It's a whole different category of activity, isn't it? To just go through the machines or to actually love that. One is just a mere activity. I got to do this. The doctor told me I got to do it or I'm going to die or whatever the case may be. And the other one is with all your heart and mind, right? One of them is giving your, your, your soul away to it, your life away to it. That's exactly what he's saying here in this command, this requirement. He says, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. Something different about this. One is mere ex- external activity. The other one is coming from within, outward. One's coming from within. Now, that's something you can't generate, is it? That's something that happens. That's something the Spirit does. The only thing we can do is what? Remember the Lord, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all by the Holy Spirit's power, right? But I can remember the Lord. I can fear Him as in remember Him and dwell upon who He is, demonstrating what He's done. Walking all His ways, realizing I'm failing, looking back to God, working all my, walking in all, my, all His ways, failing, and realizing His love and His mercy. Right? And as a result of realizing His love and mercy by the Holy Spirit's power, I'm going to love And here's the strange thing, the supernatural thing. The only way I'm going to fulfill the requirement of God is how? By the Spirit, changing my heart, changing my soul, so that from the inside out, I'm going to want the Lord and serve the Lord. Love because I'm loved. Which brings us... (coughs) The statement, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the, of the Lord, which is kind of a restatement of everything, brought, drawing it all together, which I'm commanding you today for your good. And that brings us to the beginning where we were, to, for our good. It's for your good. Why is it for our good? Because God's designed you to be in relationship with him. God's designed you to be a creature that brings glory to him, Right? It's not just purely in the activity of keeping his law that's for your good, as in good things come about because of it. If you keep his law, then then life is good. That's not really what it is. All these things combined are because God is at work in you for his good and his glory and for your good. It kind of flows right in line with what? Romans 8, 28, doesn't it? It kind of flows in line with Romans 8, 28. For his glory and for your good. And then from here, what he does 
is he reminds them again, 14 and following, Behold, the Lord your God, uh, to the Lord your God belong heaven, the heaven of heavens, and uh, the earth with all that's in it. So he, after saying this, he says, I want to remind you, as I reminded you before, this is the God of everything created. In other words, he's immense. Infinitely immense. And what he says next is striking. Yet, the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You. Above all peoples. It's important we hear this. In spite of the fact of the immensity of God, the infinite immensity of God, what God is saying here through Moses is, in spite of all that, he chose you. We know elsewhere, not because there's anything good in us, right? But only because of his mercy. He chose you. He chose me. And so verse 16, then he says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your hearts and be no longer stubborn. He's saying, in effect, turn to the one who loves you. In repentance, that's what he's talking about. In repentance, realize our failures. Realize them. That's why he says, don't be stubborn any longer. Realize your rebellion. Realize our failures. Realize our despisal of, that, of him. Realize our ignoring of him. Realize our minimizing of him. Realize our being ashamed of him. Realize our turning away and turning aside from him. Realize this. Circumcise. Repent. It's a beautiful call of mercy to you and I because we do it. To repent and turn back to him. Why? Because the Lord your because the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widows and loves sojourners, giving them food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall, verse 20, fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. And notice what he says in verse 21. He's your praise. That's kind of an odd turn of words, isn't it? In light of everything else he just said. He's your praise. Wait a second. Everything up to this point is do this, do this, do this. This, this is what's required. This is what's required. And all of a sudden, he's your praise. What's that all about? And here's what it's all about. You're not consumed. I'm not consumed. We sang about that this morning. Did you pick it up? I have spilt his precious blood, trampled on the Son of God, filled with pains unspeakable. I who yet, what? And not in hell. He's our praise. Because I'm not yet in hell. I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. 
condemned. He's like praise. He is your God who has done these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. And he goes on again and starts to list these things. He's your praise because he's your God. Unlike everyone around you who is lost, he is, what does God say? Your God. He's your praise. He is your object of praise. He is the focus of praise because he's your God. You know the implication of this being? If you're not one who praises, if you're not one who finds welling up within you praise to God, you know what that means? It means you have forgotten him. It means that you have missed the first requirement to fear him through the remembrance, right? And then because of that, you've probably either gotten lost in keeping the commands or you're not even keeping the commands anymore. And you're not loving him. And you're, you're not walking in all his ways. And you're not, you're not I'm sorry, you're not, um, oh, what's the term? Um, serving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Which brings us back to 16 again to circumcise our hearts, right? Because really, he is your praise. It's really like this kind of test piece to say, is he my praise? Is he my praise? Well, what do we do with the law? The purpose of the law was to point people to the coming Messiah. The purpose of the law was to say, you need a redeemer because you fail. He was a schoolmaster, as we started out talking about. Well, we're on the other side of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, as we've studied in the book of John just recently. How do we view the law? Well, there's several ways we should view the law. And the first way is to remind us when we do fail, right? It still is there to remind us when we fail. Right? Still to remind us. But it's not, it's not a schoolmaster anymore, right? Because it did condemn. But if we are believers, it no longer condemns. Correct? It no longer condemns, but it does remind it's there to remind us that we still, today, at this late date, we still need a Redeemer. By the way, that's God's mercy, isn't it? He didn't leave us alone. The law serves a purpose of reminding us we still need a Redeemer. It's a beautiful reminder. But can I say something else, too? As I still fail and as you still fail, you know what it still reminds us of as well? There's only a couple things I want to touch on, but this one's really important. It reminds us of, as I look to, to the law that God has given, and I'm reminded that I still fail, I'm reminded again and again of this. It's not my righteousness, friends. It's not your righteousness. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, not having a righteousness of my own. I fail. There's going to come a day when I don't fail. There's going to come a day when, when I will no longer fail. I'll be in glory. 
up until that day, I will continue to fail. And as I fail, I'm reminded as I consider God that it's not on my righteousness. Not having a righteousness of my own. It's a righteousness that was given to me. Again, if I may point to our song again this morning. Bridge number two of Great God from Thee, what wondrous love, what mysteries. In this appointed shine, my breaches of the law are His and His obedience mine. What I'm reminded of when I fail, what you should be reminded of when you fail, is that the reality is that my righteousness does nothing. It is nothing more than what? Filthy rags. Even if I keep the law, Tom has said to me many, many times and said to all of us many times something very important, and that is this. In my best keeping of the law, there is always what present, Tom? You remember? Yes, my own imperfections, my own sin is interwoven within it in the best of my days, in the best of my individual intricacies of actions, of responses. It's not my righteousness. My only hope is I have his. And he gives that to me. Freely, he has given that to me. I wear his righteousness. He takes on my iniquities, my sin, and I take on His righteousness. His obedience is mine. When we stand before God, God is not going to judge us by our interactions with the law. He will judge us by His interaction with the law. Christ's. And He completely fulfilled the law. Didn't he? Now, some argue, yeah, but Steve, doesn't that set me free to live how I want to live? Right? Woohoo! It's his righteousness, not mine. I'm free. I can do what I want to do. This is awesome. Partay. Yeah. Except for one thing he gave us a new heart. Isn't that something? He, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive. He changed us. We have been changed to the core. So that although I can't perfectly keep the law, nor is it expected ever that I do, because I can't, I need his righteousness. But when he changes us, here's what happens. He gives us a new heart. And that new heart is a heart that desires him. The new heart he gives us is a new heart that longs for him. Imperfectly, right? We don't know what we will be, John says, but we know we will be like him. There's going to be a quantum change when we go to glory. But that does not mean we don't have a changed heart today. We do. And so... What happens for believers is that he changes us, so now our desires become more and more what? Good way to put it, Tom, in concert with his. 
in harmony with his, right? It begins to align more and more with his in our, to use the Deuteronomy term again, in our heart and our soul. Something begins to change. As we find ourselves longing more and more to look to him, to fear him, to remember him, we'll find ourselves a desire to walk in all his ways. We'll find a growing love to walk in all his ways and a growing hatred of the things of this world. But we'll view the walking in his ways not to gain anything but a response to his love. This is how we love. He has not left us here. He's telling us this is appropriate ways to respond in love to him. Because if he makes us new in him, we are going to want to love him, the one who has first loved us. And so he hasn't left us clueless. He informs us. These are appropriate ways to love him. These are good ways to love him. These are acceptable ways, even though they are imperfect, they're acceptable ways to love him. They're beautiful ways to love him. And when you fail, he loves you so much that he looks forward to and longs for and embraces immediately your confession that you failed. If we confess our sins, what? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? And by the way, it's a strange word, just. You think merciful. Not just. He's faithful and just. It's just because justice was meted out on the Son. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So could I... If I can come up with any challenge here today, it is not for you and I that we need to keep the law. That's not an appropriate challenge to us today. Not at all. The appropriate challenge for you and I is, is simple. It's to remember. It's to remember. It's to remember several things. We should remember, firstly and most importantly, who God is as he's revealed himself. That's why it's really appropriate for us to spend time in the scriptures. Too often we as believers spend time in the scriptures to find out what God wants us to do. But the really the appropriate thing to remember, I think I shared this with you before, but I bought a Bible. It was about 15 years ago or so. I bought a new Bible. And I wanted to read in a year the whole Bible, and I wanted to highlight every verse that was important to me because I was curious what kind of verses were important to me. I went through the whole Bible. I still have it at home, and I highlighted every verse that was important to me. After I was done, I went back and I read through all the highlighted passages. You know what I found out? All I highlighted was what God wanted me to do or not do. It was shocking to me. My Bible consisted of what God wanted me to do. That was devastating to me. What should be most important in the scriptures is not what God tells me to do, but how God reveals himself. What God says about himself. How Christ 
is revealed in the scriptures. Who he is, what he has, what? Accomplished or done. Who the Holy Spirit is. And what the Holy Spirit has accomplished and is accomplishing. And will accomplish. What is Christ doing today for you and I? What does it mean? That should be what's most important in the scriptures. Because you know what? As we do that, we're going to start to have what? Go back to our passage this morning. We're going to start to have the fear of the Lord, right? And that fear of the Lord is going to start causing us to what? Walk in all his ways. But then we walk in all his ways, we're going to realize that's paltry, <laughs> isn't it? It's just paltry. And we're going to remember the Lord. And then we're going to find ourselves loving the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our might. And we're going to be transformed. There's many other things we could say about the law. But if we could drag anything out of the law this morning, it's just that simple thing. Remember. Remember. Our songs that we sing almost every Sunday morning are primarily focused on that. They're very purposeful why we choose the songs we choose. It's because we want to remember our need. Remember who God is, what he's accomplished, as recorded in the scriptures, and then respond to it. Because if we remember, we're going to respond. And then secondly, if I could throw this out, I think this is equally important, or maybe, maybe not equally, but secondarily important, and that is that you and I remember God's at work in our lives and how he's been at work in our lives. How God has demonstrated himself in our lives, in my life personally, in your life personally, in our church's life personally, how God has worked and is working. How he's active today. transforming you, transforming me, how he's at work, how he's revealing himself. Because God just didn't work back then, did he? He's worked today, too. And as we are, focus on that. You know what's going to start to happen? We're going to start seeing the beauty of following what God says for us to do in light of who he is. Our primary task by the scriptures, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our primary task is to fear the Lord. That's the two phrases of the scriptures. It's what it's all about. And everything else will pour out. You're going to discover the beauty of repentance. Whenever I hear someone say that, that, they, that, they, that they repent is something they don't love or do very often, it's because I know they forgot the Lord. When I say that, it's because I've forgotten the Lord. I find myself not regularly repenting because I've forgotten to fear the Lord. I've wandered astray from the truth of remembering. Because as I do remember, everything else begins to flow. The Spirit uses that to produce all the rest of these things. But praise the Lord. Can I just say this in conclusion real quickly? 
you're not condemned. If you're in Christ, you are not condemned. Did you fail this week? You're not condemned. Did you fail this morning? You're not condemned. Do you deserve to be condemned? Yes. Do I deserve, deserve to be annihilated? Yes. You know, every one of us here this morning deserves to have the ground open up like Korah and swallow us up. Do you realize that? We all deserve it. We all deserve it because we've rebelled. We all deserve to be stoned just like Achan because we've stolen from the Lord this week. Haven't we? We absolutely have. And yet none of us have been stoned, have we? The ground has not opened up and swallowed any of us up ever, has it? You know why? Because, verse 14, yet the Lord has chosen you. He has. Blows me away. His long-sufferingness, his love, his mercy toward me, his grace towards me, which caused me to respond, doesn't it? By the Spirit. So let's remember today. As a matter of fact, let's get together and let's sing songs of remembrance, shall we? Andrew, Jim, why don't you come on up and let's praise the Lord together.